Hello, and welcome to a Systematic Understanding of Everything. An Exalted podcast. This show is a collaborative effort between members of The Story Told, that's Chaz over there, Bonus Experience, that's me, and Mage the Podcast, that's Terry, who you may or may not hear from. We're going to break down the basics of Exalted from its rules to its setting, and we probably ought to tell people who we are and how we got here. That sounds like a great place to start. I'm Chaz, one of the founders of the Story Told podcast. I am a longtime Exalted fan, as anyone who has listened to my show is no doubt aware. I discovered Exalted in first edition, got really excited flipping through the book when I saw Limit Break, um, before I realized what that mechanic actually meant, <laughs> um, and have been a fan of Exalted ever since, because the rest of the game was awesome. I run a ton of Exalted over the years for most of the classic Exalted types, and I've recently joined the team at Onyx Path as a writer for forthcoming Exalted books, um, including Exalted Essence. Hello there, springboard right off of that. Entirely new audience who's definitely listening to me talk for the first time and has absolutely not listened to me on my other show, Bonus Experience, or my couple appearances on The Story Told or on The Mage the Podcast. So here's this story again. It is cringe in the best way, so buckle in. I learned about Exalted because a member of my college improv group told me it was, air quotes, an anime game, which 19-year-old me was sold on immediately. I made a character and then promptly didn't get to play, like most games go. But then a little later on, I met my now spouse and joined their group and I got to play for real, woo! That was also really my first formal experience with tabletop role-playing, so that does things to a person. I, like Chaz, have run and played a lot of Exalted. I know the amount you're thinking of, and it's more than that. So <laughs> I'm also just a huge fan, very passionate about this game. Oh, and I'm a supplement developer for Exalted 3rd Edition, an author on the line, uh, and the lead mechanics developer for Exalted Essence. Kind of important. Let's, uh, let's get into it. Yeah. So what makes Exalted stand out from other RPGs? Exalted really lets you kind of be anything. You can play a Dawncast Solar, which I'd for our audience who may not know anything about Exalted, I'm going to call that like the setting's rough equivalent of a fighter. It's more to, there's more to it than that, but that's the, the surface level comparison. And if you choose that option, you can still be as adept at casting spells and using sorcery as a character who chooses to focus on something maybe with a different approach. I mean, I do know 3rd edition tightens this up a little bit with the supernal abilities, but unless I missed something, I think you can still pretty much be fighty guy who also does magic and like that idea is a pretty far cry from other games that lock you into a class or restrict your options more towards the core of your character's concept but the downside to that is that it can also make it kind of hard to get started because the answer to what can i play is everything yeah that's a really good description of it i mean the Dawncast battle sorcerer is definitely one of the trope character types so like you said, the fighter equivalent has a trope as a very capable combat spellcaster. So you definitely have that freedom to develop your character however you want. And it's definitely not just within combat. I think that is in part to do with the bespoke nature of Exalted Charms, where every character has a set of charms which are kind of halfway between a spell and a feat in D&D parlance, where it gives you some little magical trick that enhances your abilities. Yeah, charms are a little like, they're also sort of super powery sometimes. Charms are the innate magic of the exalts. That, that's their superpowers. It's their, you call them like between a feat and a spell. That's pretty That's pretty good. They're also sort of like a superpower. And they're also sort of like a really powerful move from a PBTA game. I think the other important thing is that they're not just for combat. Uh, you get as much depth of charms and abilities within your ability to schmooze real awesome 
or steal stuff, <laughs> or run an organization, or sail a ship. Right. Each of these has a, a deep set of supernatural abilities that, that differ based on your character type that give you that ability to play whatever you want, to be anything. Not to throw shade on D&D like I do on my other show all the time, but I guess I will a little bit. But like, Exalted does assume that some action happens. Like, it's, it's kind of an action game. That's sort of the point. But it doesn't assume that everything is going to be a combat encounter. And so that differentiates it a little bit from some RPGs that people might be more familiar with. If your background is, say, like D&D 5th Edition, or Pathfinder, or Starfinder, or anything else like that that's pretty common these days. There's definitely rules specifically for like what do social interactions look like and we'll get to more on that later. One of the things that actually I think makes Exalted really fun and gives it a really good game feel is the focus of success. We'll, we'll talk about how the dice pool mechanic works in a little bit. Exalted's dice mechanic creates a situation in which like imagine if that incredible feeling of blowing something out of the water because you rolled a 20 against all odds happened literally every session. Exalted's dice pull curve trends towards big explosive success using the math to make you feel like a big damn hero. Definitely. Exalted is not a game where you are risking failure on most rolls. You are really risking success. It is a consequences of success game, a consequences of having all the power kind of game rather than a putting the drama on will you succeed. What other things do we think make it so different? So I think part of it is the depth of lore. There is a giant setting of creation that has probably over a hundred mini kingdoms throughout the world and a set of canon characters that people have very strong feelings about and can get in fights about on the internet. <laughs> Chajup Kajak comes to mind, among others. Uh, yes. You said strong feelings about canon characters, and I'm just sitting here going, all right, which one are you going to pick? <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's a, there, you know, and that's the thing. There's a lot of them. The fact that you, you say, oh, which one yeah. are you going to pick, means that you are aware that there are a number of characters that are contentious enough to have a debate about. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I could think of like four off the top of my head. Maybe more if I thought a little bit harder. <laughs> the cool thing about making a character in creation is that like there's not really a wrong answer. So if you have a favorite character you've played forever in another game and you want to convert it to Exalted, there's probably a place for it, short of maybe playing an inhuman character. But even then. Even then. That's one of the things I think about it that, that makes it so different and unique. And I was actually trying to explain it to a friend of mine who was brand new and I was like, okay, so the cool thing about Exalted is that these three characters that you've played previously, one of which is a construct, one of which was like a noble from a Baroque space game, and one of which is like a cultist from Blaze in the Dark. I was like, the thing is that you can feasibly make all three of those characters in Exalted. This is also the problem with Exalted's character creation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they were like, well, what should I play? And I was like, well, here's the thing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> which I think maybe lends us to our next point, which is why do people tend to fall for it so hard? Well, for me, there's a couple of things that really drew me in. Part of it is that the epic high fantasy uh, and anime style and power of the exalted and the weird corners of creation have always offered me rich inspiration for telling stories. Just flipping through the book, I can find half a dozen story hooks in fewer pages than that. And I have always had a list of exalted stories in my back pocket that I would like to tell and don't have the time to do so, even when I was running game uh, every week. So that rich backstory and the expansive st setting were really a draw for me. What pulled you into exalted so hard? 
I mean, it's a lot of the same things. I really like big things. Like, I like the epic high fantasy. I like the big scale of it. I like the big numbers. I like to feel really good. There's a certain intense escapism in playing a good Exalted game. I really like the way characters are made. I really like the freedom to do stuff. There's a lot of mechanical stuff I could go on about that I really like about it, even in its perhaps more shaky previous editions. When you play a game, you're looking to create an experience. And when Exalted creates its Exalted experience, it is sublime. It's like nothing else. And I'm not even sure I could possibly describe it. Which is which is rough, because I'm supposed to be telling you about why Exalted's so good. <laughs> it's the feeling of rolling 34 <laughs> dice to attack a bridge. Right. Yes. It is the feeling of running a game where one of the most intense moments in a game I think I've ever run was my players were in an underground Jadeborn fortress and the, the building was like a stalactite and a stalagmite that had grown together into this like skyscraper thing under the ground and they were not allowed to be in there and they had fled into it to escape like being pursued and the enemies were firing a lightning ballista into the building to find them one floor every 15 minutes in real time. <laughs> And I was like, this is eventually going to catch up to you while they scramble to try to figure out how to get away from it. And like, everybody remembers that and is one of the things that people bring up all the time because they're, the consequences of their success and failure just sort of repelled the game forward at a breakneck pace. Which like, someone who's never played Exalted before is like, those sure are words. But Chaz, I'm sure is nodding along even though I can't see him. I'm trying not to nod too much because our producer yeah, will get mad at me if I, to... if I bump into the mic. But I'm internally <laughs> nodding. I'm like bouncing internally and it's okay. very difficult to step, sit still because that sounds like an awesome session. <laughs> yeah, it was phenomenal. You're right. There's just, just bottomless ideas. And I'm the sort of GM who really needs a good hook for myself. Like, I, I want to know where I'm beginning when I'm running a game. And Exalted was just a font of that. You've used the term consequence of success a couple of times. Can you give an example of what that means and maybe how that contrasts to other games? Sure. Thank you, Terry, producer, <laughs> asking us va valid questions. All right. So, like, I'm just going to pick on D&D. It's fine. It's popular. They'll live. The idea is that, like, when you roll a d20 in a D&D game, you are looking to hit a DC and the math is in such a way that so I think it's normally like 50-50 odds. You're as equally likely to pass as you are to fail for the default basic difficulty. Because that's where the math is, the game sort of assumes that you're going to fail half of the time, which means that like you not noticing the trap and then it going off and hurting you is the intended consequence of the way that's supposed to work. You missing the enemy and then getting retaliated or being stuck in a bad position is part of the way the game is intended to be played. This is not a value judgment, this is just an explanation. So what Exalted does, math-wise, is set difficulty at such a place that because of the way the d10 pool works, which we will go into more detail, is that success becomes explosive. There's a curve that sort of just goes nuts, and you can potentially roll on your dice more successes than you have dice. So because the math frames where the numbers are in such a way that you m more often are succeeding than you are failing. So as a GM, you have to consider what happens when they succeed as opposed to what happens when they fail. Because they're not going to fail that often, and that's okay. So like, if you roll, what was it, 35 dice to attack a bridge, and you destroy it, what does that mean? If you roll 35 dice to attack a bridge, you might actually successfully you know, blow it up. But then, like, then it falls into the river, then it chokes up the river, then it pisses off the river god. It's also gonna piss off the god of the city who that bridge belonged to. Like, yes, sure, you succeeded at blowing up the bridge, but that was just flexing. Now you have to deal with the consequences of what that means. I think my answer would be definitely more from the narrative storyteller perspective. But like you said, it, it's about thinking about how you're going to deal with the characters being successful. Because 
What's interesting for me as a storyteller is not, are the characters going to escape this challenge or not? Because 90% of the time they're going to succeed. It's how are they going to do it? What are they going to do that's going to drive their phenomenal success as the Exalted? And then what ripple effects, like you said, does that have to everything else that is going on? You've made mention that this is a game full of awesome characters. Can you give a few examples? And are they things that players are or players can strive for? Or is it like a more in a Marvel MCU unit where these there are these incredibly powerful things that most people will never be able to touch. One of my favorite signature characters has long been Venif, who is the youngest daughter of the Scarlet Empress. And she was gifted a few short decades ago her own great house, uh, making her the matriarch of one of the powerful families of the setting's central empire. And she's now thrust into a, a situation where, with the Scarlet Empress disappeared and the great houses at e each other's throats, her only path to survival may be to seize the throne when all of her competitors have had centuries to prepare. And so she has kind of a family of adopted misfits uh, who don't quite fit the bill of the rest of the great houses, and really only their ambition and audacity to, to save them from certain demise. Oh, that's, a, that's an excellent example. So I think Chaz's example is an excellent example of a character who you can be like, while you may not start being the leader of a great house, that's certainly something you could probably accomplish in game. You might have to assassinate someone to get there, but you know, what's a good story without a little murder? So a cool villain that you probably wouldn't encounter anywhere else. Well, I think I might have to go with the Mask of Winners. All right, so the Mask of Winners is a Death Lord, which in the most simple terms, Death Lords are super powerful ghosts. And sure, lots of other games have powerful ghosts, but Death Lords are ghosts of ancient exalts who died and then made dark packs with the undead creators of the universe. He, in particular, reanimated the corpse of a behemoth, which is exactly what you think that word sounds like, a giant monster. He reanimated a dead kaiju and took over a city and then basically built like a, a walking fortress inside an undead kaiju and is blighting the land all around the city that he corrupted and took over and is basically this big awful nasty threat like right in the backyard of a whole bunch of important parts of civilization in the eastern direction and you can work for him <laughs> or you could be from the city he took over and want to kill him he's there to be used as a backdrop potentially for adventure yeah, he's definitely become the big bad of one of my long-running campaigns for just the reason that one of the players is from that city he took over. So definitely a lot of fun to use characters like the Mask of Winters. He's not just, like, in D&D terms, a, a lich or a necromancer. He's got this whole personality and connection to the setting that, again, ripples out based on the actions that he's taken. You probably cannot become the Mask of Winners. Like, the a Death Lord is a very specific situation that you have to be in, so, like, he's not something that a player character could probably be, but you could kill him, you could defeat him, you could seek your revenge, or you could work for him if you want to be, like, a more evil character. So we've kind of alluded a lot to the setting of Exalted. So where and when does Exalted take place? Oh, well, that's a, that's a good question. Where is easier than when? So Exalted takes place in a giant world called Creation, which is sort of right up there with naming the world the world, but hey, it is flat. First off, it's not a, it's not a planet, it's not round. Because it is flat, seasons and the cycle of day and night are all magical. This flat world sits in a sea of chaos called the Wild. Creation itself is massive. If you open the map, I think it was a half an inch is 500 miles. It's bigger than Earth if you unrolled Earth. <laughs> 
It has five directions, the north, the south, the east, the west, and the center. Each one has an elemental theme. And then of course there are the directions in between, which is where you get the whole eight directions thing. You have something you want to add about what creation itself is kind of like? Uh, no, I, I think that's a good first view of creation. Um, it, it's big and it's full of weirdness. And it's, it's the, mm-hmm. like you said, a flat world, which gives this whole kind of magic feeling. Something that was an aspect of the original version of Exalted was that creation was the secret distant past of the world of darkness. Oh, yes. <laughs> so there are for for those of you versed in the world of darkness, you may be like, hey, wait a second, that, that seems awfully familiar. But later editions, and especially third edition, have really moved away from this, and it is no longer the secret history of the world of darkness, uh, although that can be, be fun to draw on at times. The secret history of the world of darkness started off kind of cool, and then the longer Exalted went on, it became more and more of a stretch to see how they tied together. (laughs) So I'm kind of glad that we got away from that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So as for when, which is sort of a hard question to answer, it's sort of generally Bronze Age, though there is steel, like weapons are made of steel. It's a fantasy game in that, like, there aren't cars, there's no guns, there's no computers. Like, modern trappings are not particularly present. We'll get into, like, themes and stuff, but it it is very much a fantasy game. I'm going to put my my history nerd hat on and say that more than Bronze Age, it is very much like late antiquity. Okay, perfect. Because that's when you have like the late Roman Empire and the Persian Empire and some of the golden, one of the golden ages of imperial China. So Mm -hmm. it's got kind of this big, expansive, complex societies, but the technological level, while it's sophisticated in some ways, like with the central empire having running water and and things like the Romans have, there isn't gunpowder, there isn't trigonometry driven sailing ships. Uh, So you don't get some of those kind of later, early modern technologies that you see sometimes in D&D. So I think maybe we should probably move on to talk about the things that you play in Exalted. Right. In Exalted, you play one of the Exalted. Whoa, I what? Know. <laughs> uh, the Exalted are mortals chosen by one of the gods and granted godlike powers. There was yeah. a, a quote, I think, in the second edition core book that went something like, there are those who excel beyond their peers, and then there are those who excel beyond all others. And then there are the exalted. And I, I, I think that that's always my go-to in explaining who and what the exalted are to people who don't know exalted. And they're like, oh, okay. They're like, mm-hmm. like superhuman heroes. Yeah, uh, they are quite literally human super weapons made to destroy the all-powerful beings that created the universe. That is what they are. That is the, the just the general backstory of why the exalts exist. And so every exalted character is to some degree a human super weapon. You are a badass but ordinary mortal and then you got god power, and now somewhere inside you is the power to kill a thing that made it, made the universe. And so like that's, that's also part of the theme, is like having all this power, but also still being a, a person. So the core book assumes that you are one of these solar exalted, and this kind of gets uh, into the exalted type, uh, depending on what type of god chose you, determines the type of exalted you are. And in the core book, you are one of the chosen of the unconquered sun, who is the most powerful kind of ruler of all the gods, the head of the heavenly bureaucracy. And your domain is excellence. The solar exalted are excellent heroic leaders. That's a good summary. There are nine more. (laughs) There are at least nine more. At least nine more, yeah. I'm going to count all the the miscellaneous ones into one category. 
But yeah, so the the god of the moon also has chosen. They are called the Lunars. They're powerful shapeshifters. Um, they have a partnership with the Solar Exalted. There are the chosen of the five maidens of the stars, who are Terry's personal favorite, even though he doesn't know anything about them, the Sidereals. Which is oddly appropriate. <laughs> kind of, a, yeah, it is. <laughs> there are exalts for each of the elements, and those are the dragon-blooded, and they're the most numerous. There are two kinds of exalts based on stolen solar exaltations. One that were given to the Death Lords, we just talked about the Mask of Winners, and ones that were given to the Yozis, who are, in short, demons. The Abyssals and the Infernals. And then there are some Stranger Still types that were brand new for 3rd edition. Oh, I skipped over Alchemicals. Do you want to do Alchemicals? Another one of the interesting types that uh, usually comes in at the end of every edition is, are the alchemicals, who are the chosen of one of the, the creators of the world who sided with the gods instead of his siblings. And they are kind of like robots, where their charms are not just abilities, but also mechanical implements that they can remove or install. So they've got a ability to modify their power set on the fly. And then you have the new types of Exalted for 3rd edition, which uh, haven't been kind of published in full yet, but we've gotten early glimpses of the Liminals, who are, I guess, kind of like Frankenstein Exalted, where... Yes, they are kind of like Frankenstein Exalted. <laughs> where uh, they were, uh, someone tried to bring uh, another person back to life, which is one of the big no-nos of, of magic and creation, and instead created a different type of Exalted. You have the Gatimians, who are kind of fighting a rebellious war against heaven, who are the Exalted of Stolen Destinies. And you have the Exigents, who are the Exalted of everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to explain what that the means? D, all of the above. Sure, sure, sure. Basically, you need to be a god of a certain amount of power in order to create an exalt, because you have to give up some of your power in order to make champions. <laughs> you have to take a piece of yourself out in order to make yourself a, a mortal super weapon. So other gods who wanted to pitch into the effort or who just want their own super weapon can claim uh, a piece of exigence which is a, a, like basically like a permit that lets you do this, and then they have to give up some of their own power, and then they get their own hero. Sometimes exigents are totally unique, and sometimes there are ones that are like a whole set. There's a bunch of exigents who are the chosen of the city gods. They have all kinds of neat urban powers. They're called the architects, and I worked on them for exigents, actually. So like, there might be a bunch of things like that, because city gods are particularly powerful. What that means for most people is that exigents are the sort of make-your-own character type, which can be really fun if you're willing to put in the work of doing that. Uh, but it is also the catch-all, so I'm filing exigents, all exigents, under like one umbrella. All, all the etc. go under exigents. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yep. Uh, do you have a personal favorite type of Exalted? Oh, sure I do. Of course I do. It's either the Solars themselves or the Infernals, because I like being a rebellious rock star from hell. What about you? I think that my favorite are the Dragonblooded, the Chosen of the Elements, uh, who we did not name as Dragonblooded before. And the thing that I like about them is that uh, in the setting, they believe that they are like the chosen heroes of the world and everybody else are, are terrible demons that must be de destroyed. And they believe that they're the only ones who can save and protect the world. Uh, but the problems of, of creation are bigger than they are. And I, I really like that aspect of the Dragonblooded. Um, that seems like a perfect place to jump off into talking about the inspirations behind like the theme and the tone of Exalted and talk about like what kind of game is it? So uh, my initial touch 
touchstone for Exalted is often JRPGs, particularly the Final Fantasy series. Like I said, when I first uh, discovered the game, I saw Limit Break and said, oh, Limit Breaks are cool, let me check out this game, which was not what Limit Break was. It's more the catharsis of, of madness that the Exalted are, are in for, and I'm sure we'll talk about that more in the future. But the, thematically and aesthetically, uh, very much JRPGs are a great touchstone to understand the kinds of big wacky stories that you can tell in Exalted, the kind of, of over-the-top weapons you'll see the Exalted wielding, the kind of crazy action um, that Exalted can get into. So that's my first one. And then the kind of classics of mythology and history are also great inspiration for uh, Exalted and, and certain aspects of creation kind of map to different historical cultures. One of the things that I usually call out about, about Exalted is that it is a non-Western high fantasy, so it is specifically not medieval Europe, and the influences are, are drawn from much for, further afield outside of, I think, what is familiar in presentation from D&D or Lord of the Rings or, or those kinds of fantasy tropes, which I appreciate. And then there's certain anime that, like you said, Exalted it was described to you as an anime game, and that's also not wrong. So, <laughs> so big, over-the-top uh, anime fantasy stories are well-rooted in Exalted. Although, if I had to be pinned down to one game right now, I, I'd go ahead and say Fire Emblem Three Houses, because I, I think we've all been devoured by it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. So Exalted draws its inspiration from so many different sources. I think you top, hit on all the ones that I had, had noted down. But yeah, it, it, it draws from East and South Asian source material. So like Chinese myth, Japanese myth, Indian myth myth even there's even some like pacific islander stuff in there too like a lot of east and south asian stuff there aren't goblins there aren't orcs there aren't dwarves like a lot of the tolkien-esque more european or more western fantasy tropes are sort of absent though like i don't know if you wanted a a, a more arthurian legend type place there's a space in creation for that but that's not where the whole game that's not the, the tone the whole game takes and jrpgs are pretty pretty fantastic for that final fantasy 13 also a really good example too the first one which is about people who are like weirdly marked and chosen and have these bizarre powers and then their whole clash is against these giant unknowable gods very much like in that sort of thing think of any anime that like shonen or action anime because just saying anime is just like saying a cartoon exalted is very much like inuyasha inuyasha sure yeah inuyasha exalted is way more inuyasha than it is keep your hands off isaacan this is true yes <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> Three Houses really dips itself a lot, I think, in more Western and more historically contemporary tropes than Exalted stuff does. But I love me a good Exalted AU, so ask me about my Fire Emblem Three Houses Exalted AU sometime. So... <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I suppose the Three Houses thing was more the mandatory sunglasses avatar yes. than anything else. <laughs> but also consider that like characters in Three Houses like the cavalry crit thing is the horse doing a backflip, and that's also like totally something you can do in Exalted. So, you know, it's it's there. <laughs> oh, one of my other th things that I really like to cite, and especially in, in an argument about like how long should sessions take, is the um, Amazon Prime series Longest Day in Chang'an, which is a Chinese costume drama about a convict sentenced to death who is a former like investigator who has to solve a political crime and keep the emperor from being assassinated in one day with this like undercurrent of these these people who are 
going to cause serious violence and unrest and he has to figure out who they are while navigating a political situation and the entire thing is eight episodes long and the whole thing is one day is really really good now nobody has superpowers or anything like that because it's sort of a historical type show but like the mood of it and like the political maneuvering and the visuals of it are wonderfully like a, a dragon-blooded adventure type game you just add superpowers to it you got yourself an exotic game <laughs> Very nice. I, I will have to add that to my list to check out. Oh, yeah, you, you'd love it. So maybe we should talk about, like, how the system works a little bit. Yeah. Exalted at its core is a D10 dice pool system derived from the storyteller system that has now evolved uh, in its own direction over several editions. So you're adding an attribute and an ability and rolling a pool of dice looking for successes. Yeah, the the target number or the number you have to look for on a die, which is a a 10-sided die or a D10, is 7. You also count any 10s that come up twice. This is called doubling and you're counting successes. So you're looking for 7, 8, 9, 10 on when you throw those dice on the table. And the number of successes you're looking for is called a difficulty. And you need to have at least as many successes as the difficulty in order to succeed. So actions can be difficulty 1 or difficulty 5 or difficulty 7. And the, the book gives guidance for how hard things should be. And this core system covers just about everything, but Exalted also has a lot of subsystems. I think one of the really cool ones in 3rd edition is the way that combat works where instead of beating on each other like meat pinatas, you are fighting for advantage. The way this that I, I describe this is this is the dramatic movie duel. When you think about dramatic movie duels, you might go to, say, the fight between Luke and Vader in The Empire Strikes Back, or the duel in Princess Bride. They're not stabbing each other until one of them falls down. They are fighting back and forth, being awesome, until one of them makes a strike that, that really ends the fight. And this is highlighted in Exalted with withering and decisive attacks, where with withering attacks, you are seeking advantage uh, uh, in the form of initiative, and then you risk that initiative to make a decisive attack. And if you're successful, that, that can end the fight right there for whoever you've, you've hit if you uh, have, have gone far enough. And it can get very deadly very fast if you have built up enough initiative. Yeah, it's also a staple of um, martial arts films, too, where two characters like are cool for a while before they start really hurting each other. It definitely creates a like cinematic combat with, with pretty decisive beats where you're going to build up all this and this momentum and then and then risk it on trying to get a big hit in. It also creates a really good feel at the table because mm-hmm. the the kind of uh, stress and anticipation as those uh, initiative pools are, are building up is definitely palpable to the players because you can get, get a gauge of how dangerous the situation is by how big the initiative pools are. And so if the enemy is coming at you with, with 20 or more initiative, that means that, that they could, could kill you outright if you get unlucky. And similarly, if, if you're in a situation where you've kind of turned the tables and you have 15, 20 initiative, like you get to feel, feel like you have all the power and decide what to do with that in that moment. So I think it gives a really cool feel for the players when that works well. 
Exalted also has a bunch of other really cool, interesting subsystems too that like charms interact with. Like the, the, there's a system for doing mass combat. So if you want to play a character who's a grand leader of armies, you can do that. There's a system for naval combat. So if you want to be really good at sailing and fighting on ships, you can do that. Any other subsystems that you particularly like, Chaz, that isn't lots of dudes or boats? I like the social systems where you are finding out what other people care about and then using that to make compelling arguments to influence them to things. I also like the crafting system where there's kind of an in-depth uh, method for characters to craft artifacts and, and other awesome projects. Then, like we said, there really is, uh, because there are charms for everything, uh, there are uh, systems to do a lot of different things. Even just based out of the core roll the dice pool, your charms can often give you a little bit more kind of oomph in a variety of different areas. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about the types of stories that Exalted excels at telling. So I, I think we've kind of already hit on it, but epic, over-the-top power fantasies. Um, Exalted is a game about super powerful individuals and the consequences of having and using power, not about the consequences of failure. And I think Exalted also really leans into like high drama and politics. Everything is big in, in Exalted stories. Also, like, that high drama also lends its well, itself well to, like, a, a certain level of melodrama, too. Like, if your exalt isn't, like, getting emotionally entangled with people they shouldn't get emotionally entangled with, and, like, having feelings and having big feelings and, you know, en enemies to lovers stories and all that sort of thing, then what are you even doing here? <laughs> <laughs> Look at there's so much room for like that big character expression. Exalts are people who live their lives in extremes and make incredible bad decisions at high rates of speed, and that's what makes the game so enjoyable. <laughs> yep. Yes, it is. Last time I, I prepped for an Exalted game, I had all of my players get together, and they were building connections between their hearth, which is a group of dragon-blooded Exalted. One of the players set up to be the fiancé of another with an arranged marriage, and this player then left to go eat dinner while the rest of the players finished making their character sheets. And another person in the group, or the, the person who he was betrothed to as soon as he was gone, turned to another player and said, hey, how about we have a thing on the side? Uh, and that became <laughs> a major plot point in the ongoing game. So uh, mm -hmm. uh, melodramatic romance definitely has a place oh, at absolutely. the table in Exalted. Yeah. Oh, and I think I would like to point out here, especially for people who are new to the game, that the melodramatic romance is often queer, and that's phenomenal. <laughs> It is a game that is very like, yeah, sure, same-sex couples are a thing. It's it, we're gonna we're even gonna talk about it. Like it's very much a queer-friendly setting, and that's important to me. Yeah, and and has been from the beginning. Um, I, oh, true. I yeah. recently was was back rereading the the very second book for Exalted, Scavenger Sons, and it it presents one of the cultures there where where there is a class of of trans people uh, who are part of their society and talks about how everyone in that society sees it as perfectly normal, anyone can make that choice, and that they will violently oppose outsiders who, who look at them sideways or are rude to them. And this was back in, in like, what, 2001? So, 2001, 2002, yeah. Yeah, so from the beginning, Exalted has been uh, very friendly to... to uh, very friendly to, to queer people and marginalized people. We can put it that way. Yeah, I, I think that's another yeah. bit it's not just queer representation, but uh, oh, yeah. people of color representation. Oh, yeah. Uh, Exalted and creation is a world where uh, the default is not white. Yes. Which is also pretty cool. Yeah. Very. And that's one of the things that makes it different. Maybe we should have said that up top. Yeah. Yeah, maybe we should have. But 
so let's refocus this to talking to people who may have been fans of the game um, and are listening to this podcast to get caught up. So let's talk a little bit about what makes third edition different from previous editions and what things people should look out for if they're trying to pick up 3E after maybe being having been away for a long time. Yes. So first off, the meta plot, which I would call a day zero meta plot, really hasn't changed in third edition. The Empress, mm-hmm. has, Scarlet Empress has just disappeared. The Solars are back. Things are going to shit. And you are plunged right into the middle of it. So there are a thousand little plots in the thousand different corners of creation. And you have a lot of things to to pick up with. The game also focuses very much on the Exalted themselves. And if you were familiar with previous editions, you know that there was a stratification of power between the Exalt types, which 3rd edition has has tightened a little bit. There's less of a power power hierarchy, and of course has introduced uh, a couple new faces in the form of the Gatimians and the Liminals. And there are so many charms. <laughs> oh, so many charms. I w- <laughs> this really jumped out at me when I was preparing an abyssal NPC to face off against my players. And I I was basically just robbing the solar charms to to present an abyssal in this case. And went back to the second edition abyssals book to to try to find charm names. And I I looked at the dodge charms and abyssals in second edition had six dodge charms. And I had forgotten just how how thin on the ground the, tr- the numbers of charms were compared to uh, 3rd edition, where I think you have no less than 20 charms for any ability in the Solar Exalted. And, yeah, something like that. And the, the, the same is certainly true of, of Dragon-Blooded and the Lunar Exalted, who are the ones that are out there to be seen at the moment. And, and that, I really like that about 3rd edition, the uh, profusion of charms. Uh, you can look forward to Exalted Essence making that a little bit more manageable. That I can say. It also does its best to make the setting return to the expansive feel of first edition where creation is big and weird and the examples in the books are only a slice of what's out there. Yeah, that's something that people in second edition where kind of everything got filled in and all of the questions were answered, uh, people felt hemmed in by the uh, setting presentation to not add their own bits to it. Um, at least that mm-hmm. that's the impression that I got. And 3rd edition really opens that back up and says, hey, there are a thousand weird corners of creation, and we're only going to tell you about some of them. These are examples, not a complete presentation of what's out there. I also thought 3rd edition brought more nuance to the presentation of cultures, kind of really leaning into looking at historical examples of cool uh, cultural phenomena in our own world and bringing them in in some blended form to Exalted. So the 3rd edition presentation feels more real to me because of the nuance that's presented. Yes, Exalted is has done a much better job of doing its best to like draw inspiration from real places and then have that reflected like in the art and in things we present as like cultural practices for places all around the world and it it makes it feel more real that way Uh, one other change for third edition is a a reduction in first age artifice and how how much impact it has in the modern setting of creation where again in second edition there was so much magitech everywhere And 3rd edition really wants to make that artifice more special by making it more scarce. This is one of the the changes that I have mixed feelings about. Um, And that's okay, because that's a dial you can adjust at your table. It sure (laughs) is. You you can change it if you want to. I think a returning fan from 1st edition will find it a little different, but also very familiar. Yeah, and then I guess there's those new Exalted types that we mentioned. 
Yeah, there are and those, those are the, there are those new exalt types that we mentioned, which don't exist yet. So Do it. Uh, that is kind of a comprehensive look at uh, an introduction to Exalted. We are going to be diving into a lot of these topics in more depth in future episodes. Any final thoughts before we wrap up? Um, Exalted is good and you should play it. <laughs> Underline, exclamation mark. <laughs> Uh, yes, I, I think I think if nothing else that you take away from this episode, take away that that we both love Exalted and have probably spent more hours with this game than any other game and plan to continue doing so. Absolutely. Thanks for listening to the Systematic Understanding of Everything, an Exalted podcast. If you liked the sound of our voices, you can listen to me, Monica, more at my show, Bonus Experience, which you can find at bxpcast.com or on Twitter at bonusexpcast. Or if you want to just follow me, I'm at Zena Sun. What about you, Chaz? If you want to hear more of me, you can find me on the Story Told podcast, uh, where we cover... Uh, a variety of RPGs, and even have some exalted actual play. If you want to find me online, I'm at StoryToldChaz on Twitter, and that's probably the best place to find me. Terry, you can talk now. Do you want to tell us what I do? <laughs> I just held my breath that entire time. I didn't realize I could have muted my mic. This is Terry Robinson with Maids the Podcast. If you want a game that is radically different, that is dark, dingy, and replaces infinity charms with nine incomprehensible spheres, listen to us. Maidsthepodcast.com. Follow me at Terry Robinson on Twitter. And thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to Systematic Understanding of Everything, an exalted podcast. Go to exaltcast.com to subscribe, see our show notes, or listen to our past episodes. We're available on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, and Anchor.fm. If you have a question, shoot us an email at questions at exaltcast.com. If you'd like to support our show, please consider using the affiliate links in our show notes to make purchases on DriveThruRPG and the storytellervault.com. The opening theme is Return of the Solar Exalted, and the closing theme is the Sidereal Exalted Lesser But Safe from Fanfare for the Chosen by James Simple, and is used with permission. In the meantime, exalt strong.